0: This podcast is going to be for section 43, Uh, so this is going to be a little different here. Uh, Let me go ahead and read you some introductory information here first. On the 6th of April, 1830, the Lord instructed the saints about the channel through which Revelation would come to build Zion. He said, speaking of the president of the church, him have I inspired to move the cause of Zion in mighty power. This instruction was difficult for some of the saints to follow. Many had come from religious backgrounds that permitted any member of the congregation to proclaim doctrine for the entire assembly. Yet, on the day the church was organized, the Lord taught the principle that only one person has the right to receive revelation for the entire church. Even by September 1830, the saints had not fully learned this lesson, for many believed in the revelations of Hiram Page. In February 1831, it became necessary for the Lord to further instruct the saints on this matter. Section 43 was given in response to the activity of a Mrs. Hubble who came making great pretensions of revealing commandments, laws, and other curious matters. John Whitmer recorded the following about Mrs. Hubble. She professed to be a prophetess of the Lord and professed to have many revelations and knew the Book of Mormon was true and that she should become a teacher in the Church of Christ. She appeared to be very sanctimonious and deceived some who were not able to detect her in her hypocrisy. Others, however, had the spirit of discernment, and her follies and abominations were manifest. Mrs. Hubble was, was one of many who falsely claimed revelations to guide the church or to correct the prophet. In a discourse in Ogden, Utah, Elder George A. Smith gave several examples of the problem and said, there was a prevalent spirit all through the early history of this church which prompted the elders to suppose that they knew more than the prophet. Elders would tell you that the prophet was going wrong. Many members became confused and bewildered by the different claims. Under these circumstances, the prophet went to the Lord for guidance and received the revelation recorded as Doctrine and Covenants section 43. Let me read the heading now to the section. Revelation given through Joseph Smith the prophet at Kirtland, Ohio in February 1831. At this time, some members of the church were disturbed by people making false claims as revelators. The prophet inquired of the Lord and received this communication addressed to the elders of the church. The first part deals with matters of church polity. The latter part contains a warning that the elders are to give to the nations of the earth. No truth of salvation stands unopposed when the Lord calls a prophet, false prophets arise. In New York, Satan deceived Hiram Page and the Whitmer family with a counterfeit seer stone. Similarly, in Ohio, Lucifer temporarily misled new converts into accepting his imitation of a prophet. Therefore, the lessons previously learned in New York regarding false spirits needed to be taught again. The prophet Joseph Smith recorded that soon after the law of the church, section 42, was received, a woman came making pretensions of revealing commandments, laws, and other curious matters. John Whitmer identified the intruder as a woman named Mrs. Hubble. And I read a little bit about her already, so let's skip through some of that. Um, She appeared to be very sanctimonious. Mrs. Hubble's sanctimonious conduct added to the difficulty of dealing with the errors introduced at this time. Ezra Booth, an an early member and eventual apostate, stated as part of his attack on the church that Mrs. Hubble, professing to be a prophetess, made her appearance in Kirtland and so ingratiated herself into the esteem and favor of some of the elders that they received her as a person commissioned to act a conspicuous part in Mormonizing the world. Sidney Rigdon and some others gave her the right hand of fellowship and literally saluted her with what they called the kiss of charity. But Joseph Smith declared her an, an impostor, and she returned to the place from whence she came. Her visit, however, made a deep impression on the minds of many, and the barbed arrow which she left in the hearts of some is not as yet eradicated. Joseph Fielding McConkie said, We face similar ploys today, and it is essential that every member of the church has the power of discernment, And knows the spiritual laws by which spiritual counterfeiters are detected. Unlike true messengers who always focus on the need for repentance, these self-ordained prophets and prophetesses come to tell us that all that really matters is that we love one another, thus subverting the the discipline of true discipleship. These deceivers disguise false doctrine by dipping it in honey. The errors they introduce are difficult to confront because these counterfeiters promote themselves as being more accepting and loving than those who defend the kingdom against such false intruders. The masks and costumes of false prophets may change, but the doctrine of the kingdom, as reiterated in this revelation, remains enduring and true. Followed, the simple guidelines revealed herein protect the saints from deceivers, false revelators, and false spirits. So let's get into this now. Verse 1. O hearken ye, elders of my church, and give ear to the words which I shall speak unto you. Behold, verily, verily, I say unto you, that ye have received a commandment for a law unto my church. And that was section 42. Through him, meaning Joseph Smith or the current prophet, whoever that might be, whom I have appointed unto you to receive commandments and revelations from my hand. And this ye shall know assuredly that there is none other appointed unto you to receive commandments and revelations until he be taken, if he abide in me. The words none other exclude any pretenders or deceivers that might seek to lead the saints astray. The Lord avoids confusion in his kingdom by appointing one individual, the president of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, to receive revelations and commandments for the Church. Even though other members of the First Presidency and the quorum of the 12 Apostles are sustained as prophets, seers and revelators, they are under the direction of the president of the Church. In his instructions on the priesthood, Joseph Smith explained and again the duty of the president of the high, of the office of the high priesthood is to preside over the whole Church and to be likened to Moses was the spokesman for God to ancient Israel. Verse 4, But verily, verily, I say unto you, that none else shall be appointed unto this gift, except it be through him. And if it be taken from him, he shall not have power except to appoint another in his stead. Had the responsibility of being the Lord's mouthpiece been taken from the prophet Joseph Smith, the last authorized act he would be called on to perform would be to confer the keys of the kingdom on another. That was by Joseph Henry McConkie. Verse five, and this shall be a law unto you that ye receive not the teachings of any that shall come before you as revelations or commandments. And this I give unto you that you may not be deceived, that you may know that they are not of me. And this is by uh, he's quoting Joseph Smith here. Uh, this is Joseph Fielding McConkie. During his mortal ministry, the Savior warned his disciples, beware of false prophets which come, into, which come to you in sheep's clothing. But inwardly, they are ravening wolves or ravening wolves. The sanctimonious cloak of the kiss of charity hid the true intentions of Mrs. Hubble. Likewise, over the many years since this revelation was given, others have clothed themselves in apparel of various deceptive colors and styles. Some wear the claim of special manifestations or commissions that authorize them to perpetuate plural marriage. Others attire themselves in beguiling raiment of a commission from Enoch to set up the united order. Power to translate the sealed portion of the Book of Mormon, scholarly insight to tell the true Mormon history, visions that reveal the feminine identity of the Holy Ghost, keys to gather the saints of Zion, near-death experiences that make known the previously unrevealed mysteries of the post-mortal spirit world, and a host of other distractions to the true issue at hand. The Lord warned of their deception. Let this simple truth ring in the ears of all saints. They are deceivers and are not authorized to give commandments or revelations to the church nor to any individual member who seeks to follow the the truth of the restored gospel. deception can be avoided by following this law as revealed by the Lord to the church, for whoso treasureth up my word shall not be deceived. Verse 7, For verily I say unto you, that he that is ordained of me shall come in at the gate and be ordained, as I have told you before, to teach those revelations which you have received, and shall receive him through whom I have appointed. One of the reasons they publish the photos of all the other general, of, all of our general authorities is so that we can recognize them when we see them. That will avoid deception. He that entereth not by the door into the sheepfold the Savior taught, but climbeth up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. But he that entereth in by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. True servants of the Lord will always be known to the church, having been called, sustained by the voice of the church, and properly ordained. Joseph F. Smith said, it is not my business nor that of any other individual to rise up as a revelator, as a prophet, as a seer, as an inspired man to give revelation for the guidance of the church, or to assume to dictate to the presiding authorities of the church in any part of the world, much less in the midst of Zion, where the organizations of the priesthood are about perfect, where everything is complete, even to the organization of a branch. It is the right of individuals to be inspired and to receive manifestations of the Holy Spirit for their personal guidance to strengthen their faith and to encourage them in works of righteousness in being faithful and observing and keeping the commandments which God has given unto them. It is the privilege of every man and woman to receive revelation to this end, but not further. The moment an individual rises up, assuming the right to control and to dictate or to sit in judgment on his brethren, especially upon those who preside, he should be promptly checked or or discord, division and confusion would be the result. Every man and woman in this church should know better than to yield to such a spirit. The moment that such a feeling presents itself to them, they should rebuke it as it is in direct antagonism to the order of the priesthood and to the spirit and genius of this work. We can accept nothing as authoritative, but that which comes directly through the appointed channel, the constituted organizations of the priesthood, which is the channel that God has anointed or has appointed through which to make known his mind and will to the world. The moment that individuals look to any other source, that moment they throw themselves upon, they throw themselves open to the seductive influences of Satan and render themselves liable to become servants of the devil. They lose sight of the true order through which the blessings of the priesthood are to be enjoyed. They step outside of the pale of the kingdom of God and are on dangerous ground. Whenever you see a man rise up claiming to have received direct revelation from the Lord to the church, independent of the order and channel of the priesthood, you may set him down as an imposter. Joseph feeling Smith said, we frequently hear discussions in our classes and between brethren to the effect that any man could be called if the authorities should choose him to preside over the church, and that is that it is not fixed order to take the senior apostle to preside, and any member of that quorum could be appointed. The fact is that the senior apostle automatically becomes the presiding officer of the church on the death of the president. If some other man were to be chosen, then the senior would have to receive the revelation setting himself aside. President John Taylor has made this very plain. He said, speaking of the time following President Young's death, I occupied the senior position in the quorum and occupying that position, which was thoroughly understood by the quorum of the 12 on the death of President Young as the 12 assumed the presidency and I was their president. It placed me in a position of president of the church or as expressed in our conference meeting, as president of the quorum of the 12 apostles, as one of the 12 apostles of the presidency of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. In this manner, also was President Brigham Young sustained at the General Conference held in Nauvoo in October following the martyrdom of the Prophet Joseph Smith. The counselors in the presidency cease to be counselors when the president dies and take their regular place among their brethren. Verse eight And now behold, I give unto you a commandment that when ye are assembled together ye shall instruct and edify each other, that ye may know how to act and direct my church, how to act upon the points of my law and commandments which I have given. Edify comes from the same root as edifice, and means to build up. To instruct is one thing, but to instruct and edify is something more. To edify would be to instruct by the power of the Spirit. When a person edifies or teaches by the Spirit, it inspires those who hear to want to do better. To, in some way, act on what they have been taught. In some ways, the modern church obeys this commandment to instruct and to edify each other by having Sunday school, priesthood, and relief society lessons, primary young men's and young women's classes, sacrament meeting speakers, and the bearing of testimonies on fast Sundays. Verse 9 And thus ye shall become instructed in the law of my church and be sanctified by that which ye have received, and ye shall bind yourselves to act in all holiness before me. That inasmuch as ye do this, glory shall be added to the kingdom which ye have received, inasmuch as ye do it not, it shall be taken, even that which ye have received. Purge ye out the iniquity which is among you, sanctify yourselves before me, and if ye desire the glories of the kingdom, appoint ye me appoint ye my servant Joseph Smith Junior and uphold him before me by the power of prayer by the power of I'm sorry, by the prayer of faith. Daily prayer for church leaders ought to be part of every saint's spiritual life if ye desire the glories of the kingdom. Verse 13, And again, I say unto you that if ye desire the mysteries of the kingdom, provide for him food and raiment, and whatsoever thing he needeth to accomplish the work wherewith I have commanded him. And if ye do it not, he shall remain unto them that have received him, that I may reserve unto myself a pure people before me. If we don't sustain our church leaders, God will find someone else to sustain them, and we will be on the outside. Verse 15, again I say, hearken ye elders of my church whom I have appointed. Ye are not sent forth to be taught, but to teach the children of men the things which I have put into your hands by the power of my spirit. The world has neither the power nor the knowledge to instruct the Latter-day Saints in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Babylon cannot instruct Zion in the things of God. God has called us to teach them. Though in the world's eyes we may seem weak and foolish, we are not to be taught of the world. We are the teachers of the Verse 16, And ye are to be taught from on high, sanctify yourselves, and ye shall be endowed with power, that ye may give even as I have spoken. Hearken ye, for behold, the great day of the Lord is nigh at hand. For the day cometh that the Lord shall utter his voice out of heaven. The heavens shall shake, and the earth shall tremble, and the trump of God shall sound both long and loud, and shall say to the sleeping nations, Ye saints, arise and live. Ye sinners, stay and sleep until I shall call again. At the second coming, those who have been born again and sanctified by the gospel covenant will be resurrected to receive the Lord in their glorified flesh. Those who are celestial or sons of perdition will remain in their graves and will be fearful of the Lord's return at the end of the millennium. Verse 19, Wherefore, gird up your loins, lest ye be found among the wicked. Lift up your voices and spare not. Call upon the nations to repent, both old and young, both bond and free, saying, Prepare yourselves for the great day of the Lord. For if I, who am a man, do lift up my voice and call upon you to repent, and ye hate me, what will ye say when the day cometh, when the thunders shall utter their voices from the ends of the earth, speaking to the ears of all that live, saying, Repent, and prepare for the great day of the Lord. Yea, and again, when the lightnings shall streak forth from the east unto the west, and shall utter forth their voices unto all that live, and make the ears of all tingle at hear, saying these words, Repent ye, for the great day of the Lord is come. The lightnings spoken of in verse 22 do not actually speak in the sense of talking, but they will be as much a warning to the inhabitants of the earth as is the warning given by the missionaries. According to verse 25, which we'll get to in a second, the Lord uses all kinds of natural phenomena along with the efforts of his leaders, missionaries, angels, and even his own voice to convince the people of the earth to repent and prepare for the future. Speaking of this method of warning, the world... President Brigham Young said, do you think there is calamity abroad now among the people? Not much. All we have yet heard and all we have experienced is scarcely a preface to the sermon that is going to be preached. When the testimony of the elders ceases to be given and the Lord call and, and the Lord says to them, come home, I will now preach my own sermons to the nations of the earth. All you now know can scarcely be called a preface to the sermon that will be preached with fire and sword, tempests, earthquakes, hail, rain, thunders, and lightnings. And fearful destruction. You will hear of magnificent cities now idolized by the people, thinking in the the earth, entombing the inhabitants. The sea will heave itself beyond its bounds, engulfing mighty cities. Famine will spread over the nations." That was in Journal of Discourses, volume 8. In 1980, a few weeks after the eruption of Mount St. Helens, a a volcano in the western United States, the following editorial appeared in the church news. A series of most unusual events happened within the past few weeks. Of course, the most startling was the Mount St. Helens eruption, with all its damage and of human life. But while it was belching forth, a series of tornadoes swept through the middle section of the United States. More than 900 freak storms struck America within that month. In a single day, 50 tornadoes were counted in six states. The very next day, 24 more tornadoes struck Iowa and Nebraska. And during this same period, earthquakes shook California. It is important that we look for significance in these upheavals. Can it be that they are signs of the times? Can it be that the Lord is speaking by these frightful disasters? He said that in the latter days, he would declare his testimony by means of tempests, floods, earthquakes, and epidemics. He didn't mention volcanoes, but surely they are within his realm as much as earthquakes. Did he force Mount St. Helens into eruption as a warning to repent and recognize him? We have a tendency to forget our pains quickly, even as does a mother when her child is born. Little is said even now about the Arizona floods, although the debris and broken bridges remain. Even the volcano was off the front pages, and the 50 tornadoes in one day, they got only two inches of space on the front page as part of a news summary. Not so much as a headline was given them. It is possible to become so hardened that we brush aside the warning voice and even forget our sufferings. Those who lost their homes and loved ones won't easily forget, though, even if the general public does. Must the Lord speak in louder tones? Must he send greater disasters before we listen to his warning voice? How much does it take to awaken us to a realization that God is real, that there is an end to his patience, and that the only true security in these troubled times is through obedience to the Most High? Why fly in the face of providence? Verse twenty-three, and again the Lord shall utter His voice out of heaven, saying, "Hearken, O ye nations of the earth, and hear the words of that of that God who made you." O ye nations of the earth, how often would I have gathered you together as a hen gathereth her chickens under her wings, but ye would not. How oft have I called upon you by the mouth of my servants and by the ministering of angels, and by mine own voice and by the voice of thunderings and by the voice of lightnings, and by the voice of tempests and by the voice of earthquakes. And great hailstorms and by the voice of famines and pestilences of every kind and by the great sound of a trump and by the voice of judgment and by the voice of mercy all the day long and by the voice of glory and honor and the riches of eternal life and would have saved you with an everlasting salvation but ye would not behold the day has come when the cup of the wrath of mine indignation is full behold verily i say unto you that these are the words of the lord your god wherefore labor ye Labor ye in my vineyard for the last time, for the last time call upon the inhabitants of the earth. For in mine own due time will I come upon the earth in judgment, and my people shall be redeemed and shall reign with me on earth. For the great millennium of which I have spoken by the mouth of my servants shall come. For Satan shall be bound. Speaking of the millennial era, Nephi said that because of the, of the righteousness of his people, Satan has no power. Wherefore, he cannot be loosed for the space of many years, for he hath no power over the hearts of the people, for they dwell in righteousness, and the Holy One of Israel reigneth. Joseph Fielding Smith taught concerning the binding of Satan. There are many among us who teach that the binding of Satan will be mer- merely the binding which those dwelling on the earth will place upon him by their refusal to hear his enticings. This is not so. He will not have the privilege during that period of time to tempt any man. These two statements at first may seem to be at variance, but in reality they are not. It is true that the result of the righteousness of the saints is that Satan cannot exert power over them. The restrictions that will come upon Satan will be a result of two important actions by the Lord. First, he will destroy celestial wickedness from the earth at his second coming, Second, he will reward the righteous by pouring out his spirit on them to such an extent that Satan's power will be overwhelmed. Satan will not have the power to tempt or negatively influence the Lord's people. The righteousness of the saints and the operation of the Lord's power are necessary to bind Satan. If the saints do not give heed to God's word, he will not give them his spirit. And without the spirit, they are on their own. They on their own cannot withstand the force of the adversary. President George Q. Cannon explained, We talk about Satan being bound. Satan will be bound by the power of God, but he will be bound also by the determination of the people of God, not to listen to him, not to be governed by him. The Lord will not bind him and take his power from the earth while there are men and women willing to be governed by him. That is contrary to the plan of salvation. To deprive men of their agency is contrary to the purposes of our God. Satan only gains power over man through man's exercise of his own agency when Satan shall be bound, as the Lord says he will be for a thousand years, one of the great powers that will help bring this to pass will be man's agency. The Lord has never forced men against their will to obey him. He never will do so. If Satan, therefore, has power with man. It is because man yields to his influence. Time is not far distant when great judgments will be poured out upon the wicked inhabitants of the earth. Every prophet who has looked forward to our day has seen and predicted that the wicked would be destroyed. Their destruction means the destruction of Satan's power. The righteous will be left, and because of their righteousness, the Lord will have mercy upon them. They, exercising their agency in the right direction, will bring down his blessings upon them to such an extent that Satan will be bound. Satan will not only be bound by the native righteousness of the millennial saints, but also by priesthood power that will cast him out and will not allow him the exercise of any influence. He will be sealed off from us by the power of God. Continuing verse 31, and when he is loosed again, he shall only reign for a little season and then cometh the end of the earth. When The millennium is over. Satan will be allowed one more time or once more to tempt mortals upon the earth and will have influence again for a short time. There will then be a great last battle, sometimes called the Battle of Gog and Magog, as recorded in Revelation chapter 20, verse 8, or the Battle of the Great God that's mentioned in DNC Doctrine and Covenants 88, verse 114, in which Satan and all his servants will be defeated forever. Then the earth will be cleansed once again and will go through a process similar to death and resurrection, at the end of which it will be made a celestial world to be inhabited by all those who lived upon it, who were worthy of the celestial kingdom. Verse 32, and he that liveth in righteousness shall be changed in the twinkling of an eye, and the earth shall pass away so as by fire. And the wicked shall go away into unquenchable fire, and their end no man knoweth on earth, nor ever shall know, until they come before me in judgment. That's the sons of perdition. Hearken ye to these words. Behold, I am Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. Treasure these things up in your hearts, and let the solemnities of eternity rest upon your minds. These are the sober facts of eternal life and eternal death. There will be no changes in the conditions and terms of our fate after the resurrection. There will be no additional leniency for those who intentionally were not paying attention or who could not be bothered during the days of their probation. There will be no special arrangements or second chances, not for the wealthy, the petty, the pretty, the powerful, the popular, the educated, the spoiled, or for any other class who may think themselves special. It is up to us now to adapt ourselves to the immovable, unchangeable, non-negotiable realities of the universe, the solemnities of eternity. The word solemnity means something very serious or sublimely important. The Lord tells the members of the church to let the serious things of eternity, their covenants and the great blessings that will be given the faithful, rest upon their minds. What changes could come into the lives of mortal men and women if they continually let the eternal perspective guide them? Verse 35, be sober, keep all my, command, keep all my commandments, even so, amen. I bear testimony that these things are true and that as we try to do, the, do better at uh, thinking about uh, the next life and how we uh, can prepare ourselves for that, that we might do so, that we might draw closer to our Heavenly Father and to His Son, Jesus Christ. I bear that testimony in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. See you next time. Bye.